Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> Welcome to A Word with Tom Merritt. I'm Tom Merritt, and this is the show where I have the pleasure and privilege to sit down with some of the smartest, most interesting people in the world and talk about how we think about things, because we can't all know everything, so it's good to compare notes and fill in each other's gaps. These are the kinds of conversations that I've been having all my life. I had them with my grandpa Carl in his front room, my grandma Roxy in her front room, and I got lots of different ways of looking at the world, great conversations, all leading me to this moment right now. Welcome into the front room, Gail Carriger. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am so giddy with excitement to be here. I, I'm sort of vibrating in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, uh, I'm excited too, uh, because uh, Gail and I discovered uh, that we both have an unexpected mutual love of K-pop. Uh, yeah. And uh, Veronica Belmont, my co-host on Sword and Laser, was like, well, you two need to talk. Uh, so <laughs> we definitely decided to talk. And then we decided to record much of that talk uh, so that maybe y'all could enjoy it as well. Thank you for being willing to do that, Gail. Oh, I can't. Like, I, I think I poked you about it. I was like, wait, 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 wait. Tom is into K-pop? <laughs> like, I got to we got to talk. We have to talk. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and And so... A lot of folks know you as an author. If anyone doesn't, uh, kind of briefly explain your authorship and, and the kinds of books you write. Sure. So I am 16 years now a professional author, full time. Wow. Um, I know how <laughs> time flies. Uh, my first book is Soulless, which is a steampunk kind of urban fantasy, comedy of manners, silliness, lots of fun. I tend to write comedies. And uh, that was the book. That's the book I'm pretty much known for. Um, and yeah, it has five, there are five books in that series. And I wrote a couple of series. I've written some young adults and I've branched more recently and more aggressively into science fiction. I've, I, I have always read widely in everything, but um, I've only dabbled in sci-fi before. And recently I released a trilogy of three sci-fi books altogether, completed story arc, you can find them all, read them all back to back if you like. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and that's Tinkered Star Song, right? That is the Tinkered Star Song series. And it is based on partly my love of K-pop and specifically the sort of uh, Halu Wave and K-dramas and um, sort of the Korean formula of trying to use soft power as a propaganda machine, which... No shade, I think, is as a cultural anthropologist in um, in part, I think is absolutely brilliant and I'm watching with great interest. Um, but I, I find the music particularly appealing. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it because I am curious as you and I think we are about the same age. I'm curious to know if you find it appealing for some of the same reasons that I do. So, yeah, I yeah. I I'm I'm very curious about this too. Uh, maybe we maybe we start with our journeys into yeah. into it. How how did you get exposed to it, uh, and when did you first start to realize like, hey, maybe I like this thing? 
Well, this, okay. So I have to go back because there's anime in, in the sidelines. So um, way back when I was a, a nascent geek child and going to my first uh, sci-fi cons and stuff like that, I ran into the anime crowd. And I was very, I had watched like, this will date me. But as a kid, I had watched Saber Rider and the Star Sheriffs and Robocop and like not Robocop, Robotech and a few others like that. But it wasn't, anime wasn't really my ballywick. Um, and so I was sort of, tangential to that and because of that some of the early j-pop which mm-hmm, uh, very sure. much informed would, would go on to inform k-pop so you know i had some but i wasn't i would never have called myself a fan um uh, the aesthetic certainly but not necessarily the um the shows you know i watched sailor moon and ghost in the shell and a lot of things and the rama one half and a lot of things that were kind of formative in the 90s um but never really dove completely in so that was that. And then around early 2000, I got super into Yoi. Um, please excuse my pronunciation of everything. I'm terrible. Uh, and which is uh, BL. It's a boy's love. It's not really gay. It's not really queer. It's its own little thing um, that was in manga form. And you could only get it in translation in printed word dead tree book form in the United States. And there wasn't a lot of it, but it was like the first gay romances I got to read. And I was very excited about it. (laughs) So I got into those for a while. Um, And then stuff happened in life and I got out of it again. And then uh, flash forward and I started. uh, So my assistant of, of now eight years is army. She's a big BTS fan. Okay. And so she's very into K-pop. So I was like, well, this person is in my life all the time. I should, I should delve into and start getting into K-pop. So about eight, eight, seven or eight years ago, I started to sort of poke around into it. So I entered that age bracket should tell you that I entered K-pop as a Gen 3 person. And I was not ARMY, um, and I still don't consider myself ARMY at all, but I was pretty much as close to Agassi as you can get, which is GOT7. Um, and that is... I don't really participate in fandoms in general, not even in sci-fi fantasy worlds in terms of like things I am a fan of, but I don't really like hang out in the forums or write fanfic or do any of those things. I'm, I'm kind of more anthropological about it. I'm sort of interested in watching how other people behave around a thing I love. Um, so I don't really identify as having a stan or, or biases or anything like that. Um, but I definitely am am into a lot of the groups. And at that juncture, because I am an archaeologist by academic training, I'm what, what, what year was that about? That So what are we in now? So I want to say <laughs> well, what album? It may be that <laughs> that's an easier way to remember it. It's hard carry. Um, so I, that's the other thing is I don't c- listen to full Panthe- like pull, full, I was going to say pantheons. I don't yeah, listen yeah. to full albums. I don't listen to, I just find songs I like. And so if that's 2016 for hard. 2016. That yeah. sounds about right. Yeah. That sounds okay. about right. Got it. Um, but then I really got into it and I really got into studying it and sort of thinking about it. So I started looking at the history of it and then I got into big bang and then I got into like some of the second genres. Um, and then, and, and I can think about why in terms of my taste in music, but um but then COVID hit and lockdown. Mm-hmm. And that's when I really, that's when I got into K-dramas and via K-dramas, I got even more into K-pop. Um, yeah. And yeah. So that's it. That's so it's a, it's a similar route at the end for me, but a different on-ramp, okay. <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Okay. okay. What's um, your on-ramp? 
So like, like you, there, there's sort of some ground laid of like being into um, unusual or interesting genres, right? Like just being fascinated with like, Ooh, what's going on with Afrobeats or like, you know, yeah. what, what is this Tuval and throat music or, you know, that, you know, I've always been sort of interested in that. And not, not that I'm trying to say that K-pop is like super weird or anything. I'm just saying that, you know, my, my horizons have always been a little bit like, Oh, what's going on in that subgenre over there. I'm very interested in that. Um, and well, frankly, for you, that it explains your sort of podcasting career as sure. well. Like, kind of like, <laughs> yeah, tell me what your interests are, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so. All throughout the years, probably more J-pop stuff came up on my radar, but occasionally some K-pop stuff would come up and I'd always be interested like, oh, I, you know, that's, that's really interesting. What, what makes that tick? Uh, what, you know, what is that about? Psy Gangnam style, of course, yeah. was the big one that caught all of, uh, the Western world's ear and, while most people were looking at it and I was looking at it too, as like, okay, this is just a really weird video. I was also trying to find like, okay, so who is that comedian in there and who is this side guy and how long has he been around? So there's that kind of stuff that just kind of comes and goes. Uh, then I, I think it was, uh, you know, just my wife is Filipino. So she was looking for entertainment that she could see more of herself and her family in. Um, and when we moved to this house in 2018, we were just super stressed because moving, right? Moving is stressed. We, we bought this house. So it was a huge thing. Uh, and she started watching, uh, Chinese dramas on Vicky. Uh, and I have a lot to say, but we're, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> right. Well, we can, but, uh, but I'll try, I'll try to keep my, my entry level story, uh, short enough that, that we can get back to it. Uh, but she started watching these Chinese dramas and then Vicky exposed us to the Korean dramas. Oh, yeah. So she's watching Goblin. She's watching Boys Over Which Flowers. Right. Everybody, yeah. Goblin's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. I started watching some of it kind of on the sidelines, like I'm in the room while she's watching and going, well, that's kind of interesting. Uh, and since we had Vicky, I was like, what else is on here? What sci-fi is on here? And I start watching My Love from the Star. Oh. Um, and I'm like, okay, this is, this is really interesting. This is an this interesting is story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so dramas really brought us into, you know, being exposed to that culture. And Eileen was really into K-beauty stuff. So we went to Korea in 2016. But this what that was before we had moved. It was really 2018 that we got into the dramas. And then, like you said, COVID hit uh, and we're all looking for things to do. There was a little bit of uh, Eileen was already listening to a lot of J-pop and a little bit of K-pop here and there. Uh, I remember listening to the Halsey uh, Boy With Love when it hit big with BTS and thinking like, oh, wow, they, they sing really well. But it wasn't until 2018 or I'm sorry, till 2020 that Eileen and Dynamite came out that Eileen was like, "Okay, this is a great song. I need to find out more about that group. She starts watching Run BTS. Oh gosh, the variety show that'll get you. (laughs) And so, same same as how I got into dramas, I'm sitting in the room. She's watching Run BTS, and I just start going, "Okay, these guys are funny. Like this is entertaining." Uh, And so, I start getting drawn in that way. 
And for a while, my joke was, uh, are you a fan of BTS? Yeah, I am. I hear they can sing, too, because I was just <laughs> such a fan of the show itself. Uh, but of course, then I got drawn into the music and I started we started watching the music shows uh, like Music Bank and Inkagayo. And uh, I started seeing all of these other groups. Uh, and, and started learning, uh, my friend, Justin Robert Young put his finger on it. He's like, you are interested in the meta. You want to know what the meta is in the Korean music scene. And that's why you're like having so much fun with this. And so, yeah, so I started getting into, um, uh, Lee Young Ji and Soyun and Epic oh. High and, and. Oh, oh God, that, the, the, been a, that recent Epic High where they had, um, Jackson on was so, so good. Yeah. Um, Yes, I, I do love, I, I'm into the meta too. I'm also into the formula of it, like the different positions that they cast for. I mean, it's like putting a superhero team together. Or yeah, something. right. It's so fascinating to me. I'm really into how they crib all of their different riffs and like what, what like dynamite you mentioned is very 70s. <laughs> like, I'm also interested in when a group starts pivoting and putting more and more stuff out in English. That's mm -hmm. always fascinating. Like when they try to go global, yeah. Or when they just default. Like, I feel like the Rose is de facto going English because they're just so popular yeah. outside of Korea. They're just way... So they're just... And one of their lead, you know, their lead vocal basically is is Canadian. from LA. So he's oh, like, he's I'll just sing in English. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and, and that's interesting to me, whereas Card also way more popular globally than they are in country, but they haven't ever done that. I mean, but they're hugely popular in like South America and places like that. So it's sort of interesting to me the expansion agenda, um, whether how the, the, um, groups accommodate that agenda. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. uh, and the the debates that happen in in the music scene about what makes something K-pop do you have to sing in yeah. Korean for you yeah. know like there's yeah. XG that is Japanese but they only sing in English but they're K-pop exactly <laughs> and like eventually it's come down to like I follow a bunch of YouTubers that like report on the industry uh -huh. and one of them does the like latest releases this week in K-pop and frankly that's where I get any new songs that interest me or I start thinking about a new group or whatever and uh, if they don't consider it K-pop and they don't highlight it then it's never going to come across my radar <laughs> I've, just, I've just developed tastemakers where I'm like you're going to pick for me <laughs> I have a blogger called the bias list that I read and I don't there always agree know. with her but she's always got the best analysis of what makes a song work and so I, oh, I trust I that. that yeah I love that. Yes, exactly. Like I have a couple of, um, I, and these I came across because I was doing research for my books, which is I was looking for specifically some of the language to describe vocality. And I was like, I need a professional. So I went to vocal coaches doing analysis and reaction videos of K-pop. And I found this one woman and I think she might be, I don't know, Eastern European or something. I don't know where her accent is from, but she does it in English and she talks about K-pop and she talks about the singing and the words and the vocabulary she uses is very juicy and very exciting to the writer in me mm, and the way she mm -hmm. talks about the singing. Um, so she was very like informative and <laughs> helpful to me as a, from a writer perspective, but I also like listening to the way she talks about music and again i don't always agree with her i but I, for for me for like literary criticism or musical mm -hmm. criticism or like criticism as an art form i'm also interested in the criticism technique like how it's being conducted um i follow a couple of bloggers who 
talk about uh, K-dramas or BL or something. And specifically because I like the language that they're using and the way they're talking about them, whether our taste coincide doesn't really matter to me. Like I'm going to like the song or I'm going to like the group or not, you know? Um, yeah. But well, it, it, that, that is, that is an interesting part of it too, is realizing when a song is just stuck in my head and I'm like, you know oh, what? Yeah. I think I like the song. So, it's, you know, that's earworm has earworm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In um, fact, I, I, I didn't tell my story accurately because oh. even before COVID, we watched the Blackpink documentary on Netflix. And I, I definitely started listening to Blackpink and, and, and deciding that Lisa was my bias and, you know, just <laughs> based on the documentary and, and. <laughs> I didn't know what the word bias was at the time, but I was like, you know, um, and so I was, I was aware of Blackpink before I was aware of BTS, but I didn't think of it as K-pop. I just thought, oh, that's the Korean group that played at Coachella and they were amazing. And we watched their documentary. Right. And then yeah. later on, it became more of a, a scene wide thing. I kind of forgot that part of the story because it didn't feel like being into K-pop when I, when I was interested in it at first. In, in a weird way, it's a little bit like, in advertising where they talk about the rule of seven, where you have to get exposed to something seven times, mm -hmm. I feel like your journey to becoming a geek about a thing, whether whatever that might be, mm -hmm. is often like that. Where yeah. you're like, yeah, I had these touchstone points, but at the time I didn't register them as significant. Yeah, because that's true. I, I, you know, and then suddenly I was all in and then suddenly I look around and like. All I listen to is K-pop when I'm listening to music, which frankly, I'm not a, I've never been a huge music person. Uh, but, but yeah. So, you know, and suddenly I'm like, I know way too much about this because I am <laughs> a geek and what geeks do is they want to learn about the thing that they love. Yeah. Like, you know, and it, it sounds like when you got into it, you started going back into the history. Uh, yeah. And, I, and, that's immediately what yeah, I did. Yeah. I was like, so I was learning about like what distinguished the different generations of, of K-pop, like from the music critic perspective, but also like I went in and watched it. Um, and I was like, Oh, and so, I mean, and to talk about this part, I think both of us need to talk about like why we like the music part of it. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's because, and this is why I think we're similar age, but for me, it's because my own musical journey is like in K-pop. Like K what K-pop does is parrot back the late eighties, early nineties, and to a certain extent, the early aughts. Mm -hmm. And specifically the one, like, like I went into eighties, like ballad and rock. Right. And then I went into nineties punk and like parody punks and chat pop and, and, you know, stuff like that. And then mm -hmm. I was off doing my uh, first master's degree in the UK and Euro bubble pop was like the thing at the time. And I was working in a bar where that was playing all the time. And so like, and this is, this has informed K-pop, right? This is K-pop. Yeah. Um, and so they just, I just found this musical genre that is deeply, weirdly nostalgic for something that's in a completely different language. But yeah. I'm like, oh, it just feels like my music. It feels like the music that I was into when I was into music. And yeah. And so even though, and we can talk about the formula behind it and, and the machine behind it, uh, even though it has that, perhaps because we are coming from a Western tradition, it f doesn't feel formula to me. Um, it but I don't mind that. Maybe this is where we're going to differ. Like, yeah, I don't mind the formula. It's like, for me, it's a little bit like reading romance no novels sure. in a particular genre or something, or even some sci-fi, like, or say pulp mysteries or something like 
there's something about the formula that I trust and it's mm. really reliable. It's like going to a restaurant that I love. Like I know I'm go- I could order my favorite dish. I can re-listen to that song or I can order something else and it's probably going to be good because I trust the restaurant, you know? So I, I like the formula of it. No, I don't right. think that's dirty. I don't think that's a dirty word. No, it's no. clearly working for them. I think what I'm trying to put my finger on and, and your restaurant uh, metaphor helped me a lot there. It's like going to a McDonald's in another country yes right like yes. it's still familiar it's yes. it's still something you know you like but they have a shanghai burger what's that exactly. like yeah yeah oh, yes exactly or it's lamb you know yeah yeah we don't eat beef here or whatever yeah um no that's totally it and actually as i travel more and more as i get older that's one of the things i do like i'm, I'm spending more and more time in foreign countries when i travel these days and i love to and i did this when i was an archaeologist but I love to both eat the wide representation of the food in that place. So high end, regular, regular walk in restaurants, street food, whatever. But I also like to try a fast food or two and just see what it's like. Like we tried the Kentucky fried chicken when we were in Thailand recently. And I was like, just to see um, how, how, I mean, it, it has a reputation there. Let's see if that is a deserved, rep, you know, like deserved quote unquote. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm very judgy about food, way <laughs> judgy about food, the music. Um, yeah. So that for me, that was it as I was like, Oh, this is just my music. And maybe my music is as Dickens would say, sadly popular. Maybe that's my taste, <laughs> but I don't care. I'm just going to own it. Like I like it. <laughs> I I think there is something about K-pop in the United States anyway that you can be like, well, it's mainstream in Korea, but it's <laughs> not mainstream. It's becoming more mainstream now, but it's yeah, it's still got a little bit of a like, oh, that's a subculture in the United States anyway. Yes. And it's informed by interesting things and I was think I this I thought a lot about specifically when I was doing the history, my little history journey and and uh, you know, I, I listen to some first gen. I'm not wild about first gen. There's not a lot. Um, well, and also first very, gen is like the entire history of Korean pop music from the exactly. 80s through 2000s ish, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's informed by Trot a lot. I'm not wild about Trot. Um, oh, I, I don't mind. Love Trot. Folk, but... It entertains me a lot. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not wild about it. Um, yeah, and then and then very heavily kind of R and B rap, um, but like 80s, like. Mm-hmm a very pinpointed moment of time of that is sort of like, like jumps over and then J-pop and everything. And then the, the bubble gumminess and they sort of like, you sort of gel it, but there isn't a ton. And I don't like, I'm not somebody who's like, I don't like a thing just because it's old. And I, there's very few first geners that I like. Um, You know, there are some songs that I enjoy, but there's very few actual groups that I enjoy. And then second and second gen, I was like, Oh, <laughs> like second gen, there's a lot of really problematic groups, which mm-hmm. again, there's always drama and stuff with these groups. I mean, you got five to seven people usually. And so something's going to go wrong after <laughs> in the course of your, your <laughs> lifetime. And continue to go wrong throughout the rest of their lives. Wrong. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but then I was like, and then, then what I did was start to watch some of them live, um, specifically Big Bang. And then I was like, uh, oh, like those guys were rockers. Like those guys were celebrity entertainers of the American style performance. Like they got on that stage and they were charismatic and they owned that stage. And the like, like the tailored performance aspect of K-pop, which is 
fourth gen, which is like really what it is now. Mm-hmm. It didn't really exist back then. It was like wet and sloppy and dirty and a little grungy. And you watch Big Bang work a crowd and you're like, oh, that is, that is rock. Like that is, that is a concert. You know? That's like, interesting. Yeah. Because um, I yeah, think of second gen as being more rigid, usually, like if you're usually. thinking of like girls generation and, yeah. and things like that. But you're right. Yeah. Big Bang was an exception to that, that yeah. that was much more rowdy and undisciplined than exactly. what is considered rowdy and undisciplined now. Exactly. Like they were. Yeah, they were like, oh, you could have whole scale, like whole class lifted these guys and stuck them in the U.S. and like. You know, you could see that they were they were exactly the archetypes of like rocker chic, you know, like mm-hmm. there was this one and this one. And the, like they were like little archetypes of of yeah. of, um, of groups, like of regular groups. And I, I'm spe- I'm thinking and speaking about Big Bang in particular because I feel like their breakdown of like roles and stuff is what most informed K-pop in terms of what third gen would do and then and then what would be eventually becoming fourth gen. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I and and because they are often, especially G Dragon, are often talked about by younger idols as the idols idols. Like you know, Big Bang has become problematic, but you know, those kids when they're off mic or when they're out of contract, they're still like, yeah, those guys, <laughs> those guys influenced me. Um, no getting around it. So, yeah, which is which is why one of the things I like I came to the table with for this for this discussion was like, I think if you want to know the seed of what K-pop is and if you would like K-pop at all, you need to watch and listen to Big Bang's Monster in particular. Mm -hmm. It is not their most famous or even widely regarded as their best, but I think it just illustrates exactly what K-pop, it's like the K-pop formula. It is like two rappers of different styles in passe where they like, they basically um, relay rap back and forth, each get four bars, do, 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 do. They do both like rap rapping and then they do melodic rapping, which is like a very much a hallmark of K-pop. And then you get a belter and then you get a crooner, like you get your vocals, like you get all of these roles out of these five guys. <laughs> and um, and it's like, if you don't like Monster, if that hook doesn't work for you, if that style doesn't work for you, you're you're probably not going to like k-pop it's probably not going to be for you so it's very very much like a a a seminal work i guess is that the right word um in 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 k-pop history although i look at k-pop now and i see the rose or i see uni or even extraordinary heroes and and there's like, well, there's room now. There's room to go and play, you know, play instruments yes, and, and because, do rock and do indie right, sound right, and right. do well, different I mean, kinds. Like, yeah. Oh, I could talk about the K rock bands like like FD Island. Come come on. Or CN Blue. Like, oh, they're so good. But um, but the rock bands have have just historically just not done as well. Yeah, the as, Rose probably as, the most successful of them, I think, which right? is crazy because they're way indie. Yeah. Um, and it's just insane. And I think, I mean, I think Wusong did a, a ton for that group during their service. So, I mean, one of the boy bands are kind of different from girl bands in that there's a there's a time frame imposed on them because the members of the 
because males in Korea have mandatory military service for two years, which will take them out of the group um, for an amount of time. And the way most of the rock groups handle it, because you can't lose an instrument, <laughs> it's real hard to lose your drummer, is yeah. they all go into service together. So um, what happened was all of the rows went in and Wusong, the lead singer who's American, who's not a Korean citizen, um, stayed out and went independent during that, but is very devoted to his group. Like, um, but he released quite a few tracks that did really well with wonderful music videos that were like really internationally appealing. Um, and I think that really helped carry them. Yeah, yeah. So by the time came for them to go back out on tour, they suddenly had this just wildly huge fan base like i was into them early and just so excited to watch them like, <laughs> go on tour and have like big big people like big numbers turn out like oh it was very exciting too. yeah i i i saw them at the forum I'm and so I, jealous. I almost yeah, feel I, bad because I'm not now. nearly as well steeped in them as you are uh but it was great and yeah. And the fact that they could play the forum, the fact that that yeah. group, which isn't even that popular in Korea, right? Uh, you know, relative yeah. to Twice or Blackpink yeah, yeah, right. or somebody like that. Um, yeah, exactly. they are popular, but they're not, they're not way up there. Could, could fill the forum the way Twice did. Although Twice recently well, played SoFi. So they're, you know, I know, exactly, well. exactly. I mean, the, when Rose was first here, they did like Mystic or something. Like they did like yeah. the American or like tiniest theater. Like one of the minis, like the, one of the places I used to go see, like, I don't know, me first in the Gimme Gimme's and poor man. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. Tiny club. That was they first here. Um, yeah, but I think we've, we've got a little ahead of ourselves in sure, terms sure. of like enthusiasm. I'm wondering how to. So back, back, <laughs> yeah. No, let's let's go. Let's go rewind back to the second generation. Because uh, you have you have the industry being very formula, but yeah. also not not as much control in some ways, right? They were, they had, well, they were doing what they call slave contracts at the time, which is these contracts that sort of never ended um, for these groups. Um, and then there, there have been and will be in the future and continue to be uh, big legal battles over these contracts. Um, now the standard is seven years, which I still think is pretty darn insane but um but it's the next generation other, length that's what i always think of when i think of seven yeah, years yeah that's such a long period of yeah. time for these kids and their kids that's the other thing is second gen will mess with your head because like they suck some of these kids on the stage when they're like 14 16 yeah. i mean how old was Taman? i don't want to think about it when he went into the system he must have been like 10 years old and i it's really hard for me to Taman from it. shiny yeah. Yeah, I he think was it was baby. 15 when he debuted maybe, but he, he was in debuted, the system earlier, he, right? Yeah, so he must have been in for like two or three years before that. And by in everybody listening, they literally like take these kids away from their families and put them in what amounts to a sort of boarding school situation except that it's training for what for band, you know. They they put them in for dance and vocal and all of this training and then pop you up on a stage prettied up with a bunch of plastic surgery and stuff yeah. like that. Oh, it, it's oof. it's an unsettling system, and it used to be much worse. It uh, did. But second gen, it hadn't worked itself out yet. Like I feel like end of second, beginning of third was when it really started to become bad <laughs> by by judgment call. I try I try not to think about it. But the thing I want I want to mention is the thing that my I was talking about K-pop with somebody who would sit still long enough, and um, she was like, "Yeah, but." why is Korea doing this? And I was like, 
Oh, okay. Um, and I think it's important to know that K-pop in particular is a very intentional soft power propaganda mechanism, like very intentional. And the way I put it to her was that, especially with the boy bands, remember they all surf, they all surf. And that means they can all be called up again or called up in the future. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, um, and also Korea is so far as South Korea is concerned, a divided nation that is in de facto <laughs> war. And it is uh, technically still at war. There is an armistice, but exactly. not a peace agreement. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, so that is on the table. And if you crunch the numbers, and these are really hard to get a hold of, but at my last look, BTS had more fans globally than there are people in South Korea. Sure. That makes so, perfect sense. Yeah. That is incredibly powerful because what happens is BTS is out and about doing their thing and they get recalled because North Korea invades or something like that. And there are millions millions of people globally who are like, oh, no, no, <laughs> you will not take our K-pop away from us. Yeah, um, It's going to be insane if that happens. And it is K-pop that is fighting that fight. Yeah. And that's um, just BTS, that's, right? They're, that's just BTS. Now, that's, now that's, add, you know, exactly. the, the other groups. Uh, exactly. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Monster X and uh, oh my God. Stray Kids. Uh, yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my um, God. Yeah. So TXT, this, is the, yeah. this is the why behind it. And also K dramas as well, which are also doing good work in their arena. But, uh, but K pop in particular has this incredibly powerful psychological uh, manipulation, this parasocial relationship development that it's, that it's doing globally. That is, that is straight up propaganda. That is, you know, Good, bad, whichever way you want to look at it, it is fighting South Korea's corner. So they are very invested on a national level. Like the Blue House is like interested in what K-pop is doing. And that's one of the reasons the idols images, their social media, all of that stuff is so tightly controlled because they are they are this cog in a very intentional machine. Um, and I personally, as like a as a you know cultural anthro person was just like to watch this happen like in my lifetime to be in on the ground level to watch this thing go out and conquer the world it, as an entertainment is was wildly fascinating to me yeah. and to have it be a thing i also enjoy as a piece of pop culture is is truly it's truly exciting to me, but also it means that my social scientist brain wants to analyze it and understand it and what they're doing and why it's successful and all of those sorts of things. So, yeah, there were, there were so many things in what you were saying that, that, that popped up as thoughts. Uh, I'll see which ones I can still catch. Um, the, <laughs> the, you know, the fact that the, that um, BTS has gone to address the UN twice uh, certainly explainable in, in that framework, right? Like that, that is something that the Korean government actively would love more of them to do. Uh, 17 yes. just went and addressed and performed with UNESCO, uh, in Paris, same kind of yeah. thing. Um, yeah. And I think it's particularly interesting to look at the debate over BTS's military service in light of this, because from what 
we know, you know, through the filter, the members of BTS thought was we just want to serve because we don't want people saying we got special treatment. We don't want to take the flack. You know what? Everybody, you know, except for, and if people don't know, if you're an Olympian, or in some cases, like a classical musician or a folk musician, you can get an exemption from the military service. And I think with the Olympians, still, you have to be like a medalist. It's not just competing, yeah. right? And it's still socially regarded as pretty poor mm-hmm. choice. It's sort of like, if well, you're, okay. If you yeah. The national treasure exemption mm-hmm. or whatever, yeah. right? So there was talk about, well, BTS has done so much to bring in attention to South Korea, money and tourism to South Korea that maybe they should also get an exemption as well. Uh, there was some talk that maybe going to the UN, doing these sorts of things and visiting the White House uh, and meeting with President Biden uh, was a way to show that they were diplomatically serving uh, the country. Uh, And then there was an election uh, and the conservative won the presidency uh, and anything that might have been, and I'm not even saying it was, but anything that might have been built up was washed away. Uh, And I I think the members themselves were like, you know what, let's just go in. So what BTS is doing is going in in phases instead of all at once. Yes, that's normal though. So uh, I think that all of that talk was probably not, was a either lip service or talk that was coming from outside of Korea. I, I highly doubt that they were ever going to not disallow service. um, I do think Hybe might've been trying to maybe get some wiggle room. Oh, sure. I bet they were trying. Sure. I I was was trying. (laughs) I was not that. I mean, Hybe can impact the stock market, but they're still not that of South Korea, but they're not that, they're not that big a deal. The the blue house is a hunt a thing in in South Korea, right? The military has a lot of power. Yeah, it does. It's, it still has, uh, it's not like it was in the eighties, uh, where, you know, it, it, it held the, the, the power and there was, there's all these dramas and I don't know how much is true and how much is false, but I know there's a kernel of truth in it that, you know, the military in South Korea was in constant communication with the military in North Korea because they had all been buddies at one point because they were, you know, of that era. Uh, yeah, you know. those days are, are ended. Yeah, but, that's yeah. all gone now, too. Um, but yeah, so so now what you've got, and this was the other thing I was thinking of when you were talking about it, is you have the world learning about the military service. You know, the yeah. world now, because it, BTS has so many fans yeah. learning, oh, so they go in for 18 months. Oh, unless unless they have a shoulder injury like Yoongi, and then they go in for two years. And uh, and, and yeah. these are the kinds of yeah. things they do. And these are the restrictions on them. And this is what they can yeah. do in public. And this is what they can't do in public. Uh, and it is showing like, okay, this is a very different culture than my culture, except for if you do live in a country, because there are other countries that have the mandatory military service. But, <laughs> exactly. you know, for, for a lot of countries like, oh, yeah, that's not something we have to do. And it it does two things. It builds up a little respect. Like, oh, okay, that's, that's, they, these aren't just, you know, soft, dancey boys. Uh, if that's what somebody thought, you know, they, they go into the military. So if, if you were someone who is, and I think that's an unwarranted criticism thinking that way, it kind of hedges against that, which is good for Korea. But then there's also the fact that you now laid the groundwork for what you were saying earlier of if they were to get called up, you'd now know why. And it would be very, very much easier to understand. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. I mean, we we can talk about the the process and stuff like that, but it's an interesting cap on the sort of lifespan of the groups that they're gonna attract members 
these members are going to be called up at a certain age, you know, mm-hmm. and so on. And, so forth. and BTS got to defer um, it. So they're older than most groups had to be because they were able to defer their military service until later. Other, I mean, like China got deferment. Quite a few of them yeah, get yeah. deferment. Um, yeah. And then, you know, and then there are definite incidences of where someone like super, super, super famous like Taman goes into the military and then they, they can't handle it. Like the both they're they aren't a normal person. Mm-hmm. They are a celebrity serving in the military and you know, people are trying to catch yeah. a look at him showering and stuff like that, and it just becomes a monstrous problem. There are kind of units in the military that are sort of idle units now, you know, and stuff like that where um you know, where it's a little bit safer. Uh, but still, if you have, you know, the height that like Jimin has or something, it's, it's just going to be a, it's going to be a huge problem for the military as well. Yeah. But I think the, the importance of it as a, as a sort of cultural thing, as a, as a military thing, but also as like an icon of masculinity, like you're saying within Korea, like it has, it has all of these markers that make it, that make it like, a thing that happens, but when they talk about the seven-year curse for boy, boy bands in particular, it partly has to do with this and partly has to do with the seven-year length of the contracts that they're under. Um, so, yeah. And BTS the, the, beating the seven-year curse was such a big deal because yes. they all signed at the same all time. Seven, yeah. uh, twice, yeah. which they don't have the military service because it's all, all women, uh, all signed at the same time. Uh, and it, yeah. I think that is significant in this industry because it's, it's showing that there, there's starting to be a little more meeting in the middle of the, what the artist's needs are and what the business needs yeah. are. Whereas in the but beginning, I think it was the opposite. It was the artists like yeah. trying to get away with as much as they possibly could and the labels trying to keep them from getting away with anything if they could. Yes. It's also like the artists, I mean, they do a thing where they encourage the artists to become influencers and for lack of a better word. And then those artists are like, yeah, it's my face and my name that's doing influencing. And so I actually have power. It's a little bit like from the author perspective, becoming a big enough named author so that you have power with your publishing house. Mm, Yeah. Um, So a lot of the babier groups just don't, or the younger groups or the groups that have never been wildly successful, they just don't have the clout. Um, so they're, some of them are just not going to re-sign their contracts because the contracts are just too terrible and the, you know, promotional company or the, or the um, producing company doesn't have the interest in, you know, relaxing. <laughs> when, uh, when then. I, when I told Eileen, I was sitting down to talk to you, she's like, Oh, you know, B2B just left their agency, right? I know I'm, I'm gutted. <laughs> um, so for anybody listening, the only fandom that I would even slightly the group, I, I do stand them. I stand B2B. They are, they are the group I love. They are the ones that I am interested in what they're doing, what the individuals are doing, what, what's going on. Um, but uh, yeah, but yeah, they didn't resign with Cube, which is crazy. Um, because Unquick is on the like director board, but um, but I'm you know I'm not too surprised. They're also getting up there. They're you know some of them want to do other stuff, other lives. Um, yeah, they're also a super individually vocally talented, and a lot of them do production and stuff like that. So they don't really necessarily have to stay as a group to stay in the industry either. Yeah, and that's that's been an interesting thing to watch with Shiny, for instance, uh, where they sort of like go their own ways and then come back together every once in a while versus, you know. I suspect uh, Blackpink is going to go that direction. Nobody knows where Blackpink is going to go right now, right? But But yeah, that could definitely be one of their directions. They're they're in the middle of contract negotiations, but a four-person group has a lot of like – 
there's less of them just to keep together yeah. so they can do a thing where they're amorphous for a while and they come back for a bit and then they're amorphous. For and a while you, and back for I a don't bit. know if it's new or not really. And maybe you've done enough research to know, but it does seem like there is more willingness to let solo projects happen earlier with groups than there used to be. So they do that for, to survive um, the call, the call of duty. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so the, a lot of the boy groups sort of piloted it a little bit. I mean, like Mama Moo, and there's certainly been mm-hmm. girl groups who do this, but the boy groups kind of pilot it partly out of necessity. If you have too many of the same age all serving at the same time, and this is you know something I'm very excited to talk about, which is your strategy on your roles mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. you know, the, the elements of the group. If you have too many of the wrong element, like if all your vocals are out, there's not a whole lot you can do. Um, and some of the newer groups in particular are very weak on vocals. So they like Atezius loses Zhongho and they're really in trouble, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. Right. Like when he serves, they're going to I don't know what they're going to do. But like um, so, you know, if your group doesn't have enough all rounders, if you don't have enough spots filled, if then then, you know, you're going to have to take a hiatus um, or you do something like you have individuals doing solo track. So to a certain extent, um, sometimes that's actually acting. I think the way Wusung did with the Rose to hold the attention on the group as a whole, even though they're releasing individual cards. I feel like Young K does this with day six all the time. Mm. I mean, he's a prolific solo artist. He's also a prolific uh, composer and, and like backend creative. Um, so he gives, gives away he sells away his his some of his best works to girl groups for example he loves girl groups and so he's often like putting stuff together for girl groups um but you know in between concerts and bands are a little bit harder to ramp up and put out but um you know he's always producing stuff and it keeps them alive it keeps that group alive to a certain extent one of the things i noticed with bts looking over their career is uh rm sugar and j-hope all did solo efforts, but they were mixtapes. They were put on SoundCloud. They were not official releases because you're still in that era of, eh, it's too early to do solos. Well, but we'll let them cultivate that side, right? So there's a little yeah, bit of enlightenment. Uh, yeah. And then now that they're going into the military, they're all avowedly doing solo projects to they're fill the gap. And yes. all of their older sol- solo projects, at least for those three, are now on Apple Music and Spotify and their official yeah. releases and everything. And so it's yeah. interesting to see that. I compare that to, I don't know how much you know about La Seraphim. No, no. Okay. So I don't know about much yeah. about the girl group so they're, at they're, all. They're, so this is one of those where you're filling in okay, my gaps. Okay, okay. I'm happy to do this. Uh, because if if there's a group that I, I know the most about, it's La Seraphim, because I've followed them almost since day one. Um, they So what gen are they? They are fourth gen. They debuted May 22. Okay, no, not early. Okay, okay. They are, so they are just more than a year old. Um, Oh, the baby. So they're almost 50, maybe. But yeah, Uh, they are five women. And uh, one of the, they used to be six when they debuted, but one of them was. I bet they were seven to start. One of them was accused (laughs) of bullying in high school. Oh, yes. Yes, and yes, yes. I when the this. when the accusations came, the usual thing that happens uh, happened, which was she was taken out of promotions and uh, you know allowed to recover from these accusations. And Hyde put out a, a message of support uh, for for her, 
And then I can't remember exactly how many weeks later uh, it was. uh, She's no longer with the group uh, and her contract has been terminated. And so something happened. They either uncovered something or, or something happened with her. And so this group suddenly who had just debuted was hadn't even had the entire group together for more than a week, uh, was finishing promotions. And, and so that's what formed the group. And that's what caught my eye. I was like, how is this group going to handle it? And then how they going to survive? And then, so I started watching how they survived it. And one of the ways they survived it is because like you were saying, they had created a group of very different people. Um, one of them was a, uh, classically trained ballerina. Ballerina, One of them was an opera star. Uh, one of them was a former AK HK 48, uh, Japanese idol. Um, one of them uh, was just which is a monster group, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, one of them had been in another K-pop group called Is One uh, that was put together in a reality show, and then one was just the Machne, just you know, brand new, yes. uh, never been yes. in a group before. So they had all these different perspectives, and I the reason I brought them up at all is I thought it was fascinating that they let Yunjin, uh, who was the other member I didn't mention, she is an American. She was born in Seoul, raised in America. You know, so when she speaks English, you know, sounds like a New York person. Um, she is a songwriter. She had lost the reality show that her co-member Chewan had won and become part of his one. Uh, so they, they, she had gone back. She had given up. She was not going to be, uh, trying to do the idol game anymore. And Hybe called her and said, we'd like you to audition for this, brought her back. And they immediately let her record solo songs and put them on YouTube. And the first one she put up was called raise your glass. And it's all about, like how it, the first line is, it's kind of shitty, isn't it? Uh, and it's about the fact that their debut was spoiled by all this. Uh, and so they've let her put out three or four uh, different songs. They let her perform as a soloist at uh, a Weaver's Con in Seoul. So I see that and I'm like, that would have never happened previously. No, well, that would have been rare. I mean, I think also like I feel... <laughs> This is a, you get more weedy and weedy about this sort of thing. But, um, I feel like the, how do I put this? The like extreme musical talent, the ones that are not just great singers, but like genuinely great singers with vocal range and musicality Mm -hmm. and pitch and tone and character, uh, to their voices, um, that are also composers that can also put stuff together. Like, those ones have power that sometimes I think they're not really aware mm-hmm. of. Again, I'm talking about the leader of Atise in particular, um, who like, again, is one of those linchpins that like, I worry about this with fourth gens a lot, some groups more than others, but I'm like, that is a linchpin. If he leaves that group, I don't see how the group can survive because he's putting most of their music together. Um, but I feel like they let those guys, we saw this happen with uh, Pentagon, for example, they let those guys and girls, they let them solo, they let them drop tracks, they let them cover stuff on YouTube or whatever, cover, you know, Western music or what have you, in a way that they maybe wouldn't have, you know, even five or five years ago. Which is smart. Um, yeah, which is smart. But it's also because 
they're they're such valuable assets mm-hmm. to the corporation that you have to keep them happy. You want to keep them happy, and you because. want to develop them, right? You want to give them a you chance want to, to spread develop their wings. Them. You want them, yeah. You want them to be happy with you as a company. You want yep. them to resign. Um, yeah. So that's um, and it, it's definitely worth the company's weight in processing how much control they are keeping over them for the you know yeah. publicity and marketing that the, and promo that they can do um, with their pure talent some of these That's kids. one of the I interesting mean, really. things about BTS too is that it was originally going to be just a rap group uh and they re- They're all like that though. Well <laughs> and they 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 put out songs and they were talking about debut and they had members and then they ripped it up and I know that's not that unusual but I think what what is interesting is that Supreme Boy and P Dog stayed around from that original group that didn't debut yeah. and became mm. producers in Hybe. And I think that's one of the things big hit as it used to be yeah. called did, did well is like, all right, we're not going to have you get debut, but you're talented. Let's, let's yeah, use let's that. And, and so those that. two now produce not only all the BTS members and some of their solos, but other of Hybe's artists uh, and, and sort of spread the wealth, which is, again, it's a way to keep people happy, keep people loyal and take advantage and develop talent. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I mean... All right. Let's. Can we talk about the like the how do I put this? The code, the mathematical precision with which these are put together. Absolutely. Yeah. The pattern. Because I I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about uh you know my roots in this, which is the the sort of the entertainment variety show aspect of it, which I think ties into that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that ruins it. But that's a whole other. (laughs) um, Okay. So essentially, a lot of these groups, so this is talking about sort of third gen on, um, uh, because they hadn't really figured out the formula in second, but second did totally inform the formula, which I think if you look at um, Beast slash Highlight or... um, or of a or Big Bang or, or uh, some of them, you can see the nascent the nascent beginnings of okay. this in the five persons. So the first thing is it's really important to, when you're strategically putting one of these groups together to think in terms of odd numbers, which is why it's unusual when there are like four or six person groups, because choreography wise, an odd number is much visually easier to choreograph for and to put on a stage. And also it allows your main singer to rest if you're doing live. Now, nowadays, almost no groups do live or they do mixed live, mixed unlive where their rappers will be live, but others will not be. So um, lip syncing is not a dirty word in the K-pop industry. It's something that's just done. But back in second gen, they tended to drop they tended to do lives, even on like music banks and things like that. It was crazy. But that meant whoever's belting has to rest. They can't be dancing. Um, and that means putting your singer still in the center or lifting them up or doing something with them. So they're not physically pushing themselves to dance and having breath versus vocality issues. 
Very few groups are good at both movement and belting and really singing in the way that, say, Broadway shows require of, of talent. So, so yeah, so odd number is key. Um, and generally speaking, seven is ideal for various reasons. Um, but it just works out for the formula. And the formula is essentially as follows. It isn't required and you don't need one person for each element, but essentially it's two rappers, two singers and two dancers, and then an all rounder of some kind. Mm -hmm. That's why two or two, 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 that's why seven is ideal. Um, now you certainly have people that can multitask and all rounder basically means they're, they're pretty darn good at everything. An all rounder usually also excels at one role, but yeah, I mean, the all rounders are, you have you I have your performance work. line, your rap line, your yes. vocal line, yes. and the all-rounder can participate in all of them. Can do all of them, yeah. So those are the roles. Essentially, um, so far as my like limited studying and poking around this is, the rap can fall into a couple of different categories. There's um, sort of traditional 80s style, what I would call hard rapping or American style rapping. And that means you like muck around with the cadence. You're really, it's very interesting rapping to listen to. It, it fractures the vocalities. It's, it's lots of fun. Um, and those rappers can also often be your fastest rappers, but fast rapping isn't necessarily great rapping. It's just a skill, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> a skill that some, some people have. So, and then there's um, lazy rapping, which is something that, um, I don't know who piloted it, but it's very popular in in K-pop groups in particular. Lazy rapping is a little bit more like spoken word poetry. Um, it's kind of a flatline rapping style, and um, yeah, and it, it's sort of like it sort of like like it sounds. You're kind of like, oh, okay, I get it, but I'm not sure where we're going with this. And then there's um, then there's like a vocal vocal rapping or like a lyric rapping where it's almost like they're singing it. Um, so that's, that's kind of what the rap falls into. And you tend to have, you know, a rapper that can basically do one of each of those things. Some rappers can do both. So a classic example, and I'm going to go to Big Bang because, you know, it's, it's the classic. I've made you all watch Monster now <laughs> is Top, who is their, who's the open rapper. So he's their lead rapper, basically. They didn't have defined roles back then, but lead rapper is like your second tier rapper, basically. And that's usually your, um, that's usually the rapper who is either your lyric or your um, flatline, your like lazy rapper. Although not always. Um, anyway, he's a pretty lazy rapper. He's also good vocally, but he's pretty lazy rapper. So if you listen to Top, you'll know what lazy rapping is like. And then G Dragon, who's a classic rap, um, although very has very nice vo vocals and very nice voice. But he's like really classic, classic rap trained. So if you listen to those two. Those are like those two camps. So that's rap. And then often rap ends up also being very good at production and composition. So they're often also doing that kind of lineup at the back end. It seems to go together. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, there's something about – well, I think it makes sense that the composition would be part of that because yeah. of lyricism and, and all of that. Um, yeah. yeah. And maybe just interest in production follows out of that. Yeah. The ones to watch right now are three Racha out of Stray Kids oh, yeah. um, who are just – killer uh particularly changbin who's like a hard rapper and han han's amazing han is like one of my favorite all -rounders. also hilarious too like he's, yes. he's got a mind yes. so yeah yeah he's he's a true like little monster like in the best possible way for anybody who doesn't um, know stray kids was supposed to perform at what was it the world day in new york 
the entire and some of them were in a car crash i couldn't go oh, yeah. so they sent three racha they're just, they sent they're just like you know what wonderful. that'll be fine and they yeah <laughs> that'll be fine. they'll be yeah. fine they can handle it yeah they're three racha is they're like little subunit of of heart of rappers they have they're a larger group they have two additional um members who can rap but technically they're their you know visuals and performance so they're not real they're not but they can rap anyway. Um, so yeah, so you have your, essentially two rappers. You can have more, of course, um, always good if you can get more. And then you've got two vocals. The vocals tend to divide into belters and crooners. Uh, belters means you can literally belt a chorus. You've got great volume and, and a uh, crooner tends to have more uh, vocality in terms of range and training, but just not be quite as loud. Then you, if you get a group that specializes in voice, like My Baby's B2B, then you cover the gambit of vocality many times over. But uh, in my experience and personal opinion, where groups' weakest links tend to be on the vocal line, um, it's just really hard to find innately talented vocalists. It's something that mostly needs some training and and some real skill to do. Uh, to be able to sing, especially sing and perform at the same time. Um, so those are that's your vocal, and then usually the main vocal is gonna is is the belter, but often you know they're they're, they're you can switch that around a little bit. The main is the top tier, the number one in the group, so to speak. And then you've got um, performance, and you usually have two performances. Well, you'll have performances essentially dance or choreography. And again, often these groups will be doing some of their own choreography. So your main performance is often also a choreographer. Um, and then, so those are, those are like the roles, right? And then you have uh, a couple of sort of sub roles. So face, which isn't used anymore very much as a term, but the face of the group is usually the most charismatic person and the person who has the most languages. Mm -hmm. um, and they're literally the interface with marketing and promo and stuff like that. So they usually talk for the group or they'll do interviews. And so sometimes the face kind of emerges through the course. The face is the person who takes up acting often, that kind of a thing. So that's the face of the group as distinguished from visuals or the visuals of the group who most closely um, cohes with Korean beauty ideals and are often, you know, models. So they're usually the performers, but sometimes the visuals can be a vocal or a rap. And um, yeah, they photograph well, they look pretty, they do a lot of perfume ads kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there are two additional roles, which I think of as sort of the cultural roles, mm. and that's leader and maknae. Mm -hmm. Leader is often voted on, and leader is usually the oldest of the group just because of the way social structures work. Um, but not always. Um, very much. Yeah, not always. it seems like in fourth gen, particularly, it's not yeah. the the young yeah. wants to to stay out of it. And well, it really depends on the personality. If you're thinking of N hyphen, I am as well. And it was very clear that um, the oldest of that group was super like self-contained and kind of shy mm -hmm. and like definitely yeah. he, he never wanted to lead he never wanted to lead during the course of the competition and he clearly was never going to be the leader um but that's very rare in third gen third gens it's, it's often the the oldest but it's it is the the leader role is is super important like you lead the call when they're doing their little you know b2b or whatever um BTA, their introductions little, and their goodbye yeah, yeah. And you're often responsible for making decisions. Like it is kind of a paterfamilias kind of thing where if there's dissent in the group or with the contract or something like that, like you're going to be putting together that aspect and you're going to be having to make the decision, which in a collectivist society can be a lot of stress yeah. on leader. So the leader is not an easy role. And 
very few groups will survive the loss of the leader, especially if they're a, an established group that's had the same leader for you know three or four years. It's going to be real hard for that group to stay together if the leader leaves. Um, and then there's Macne. And I mentioned this as a role because I think it actually is. I think there's something about kind of the isolation, especially being in training facilities and stuff like that, where psychologically they sort of need someone to spoil and like put your love and attention of of the older like they, they everybody needs a baby brother yeah, or a baby yeah. sister to kind of like spoil. And so the maknae is usually the youngest, but this is key. They may be the maknae, but they may not necessarily act like the maknae. Somebody else might do that instead. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about Monster X where um, Ayan is like, I will not be your maknae. But Juhani was like, absolutely. Everybody spoil me. I love having, like, I love being spoiled. So it's, uh, it's very cute, but I think it's actually a necessary psychological role, um, in a lot of these groups. And a lot of so, times, a lot of groups that I've been following, the maknae is also, uh, the, the prodigy, right? And, and not always the all rounder, but sometimes even the all rounder where it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, Jungkook true. in BTS is the golden Makade, yes. right? He, he's the all rounder. Yes. Uh, he's, you know, the best vocalist. He could do anything. And, you know, yeah. and he's the youngest. And Taman. Yeah. I mean, Taman the same is, way. Right. Yeah. He's everybody's golden child. Right. And now he is definitely a dancer. Like he performances, he can sing, but he is yeah, yeah. performance. Right. Yeah. Like that is. That is his skill. It's, he's one of the greatest dancers on the planet, I think. And, but, and I think um, Dino in Seventeen is a little bit like seen as as. I mean, it's hard to stand out in thirteen people, but in that group but, but yeah, but he is he is capable of do you know playing to all fields as well. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So, so those are like our our uh, superhero positions, um, and so you get this situation where, and this is one of the arguments I have made with BTS, if you have a group that has enough solid all-rounders in it, um, and a, like a cohesive, like we are going to stick together and like ride this train together as a group, which means usually a solid leader and mm -hmm. a solid maknae, then then they can hold, then they can survive seven years and stuff like that. But um, very few, very few groups can can do that because it's so dependent on these kind of key linchpin roles. So if you lose, if you've only got one really good singer or if you, you mm -hmm. lose like both of your singers, it's going to be real hard for that group. I mean, you have to do kind of what Epic High is, which is turn into a rap group almost completely, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's again with Big Bang, it's been really interesting to watch because they have held together <laughs> weirdly as now a three person group because they still have their roles, mm -hmm. right? They still have their core roles in place. Each three is just representing <laughs> one of the main roles. Right, right. Um, I mean, they're very, they're sort of nominally together at this juncture. Sure, but, right. um, no, I was, I'm thinking yeah. of that was shiny because, uh, they, they lost a member who died. Um, yes, yeah. but it was not the leader, nor was it the Machne. Uh, and they recently, you know, did a, a, a comeback, uh, and did an album, but the leader, Onu, got sick. Uh, yeah. and so wasn't doing the promotions, but Minho, the oldest, kind Stepped of in. slept into that role. And yeah, so yeah. he was like, okay, we can adapt. We can still, you know, have that dynamic, even though there were just three of them, like you're saying. Yeah. Which, you know, men have never wanted to do, but those guys have been together for so long. What? 12, yeah. 13, I mean, 
well over a decade. Yeah, yeah. So you know, they just like they just like yeah, we'll do whatever at this juncture. 15? I think it's fifteen. Really long yeah, time. No, it's yeah. crazy. They're they're second gen. Yeah, yeah they're they second are. gen. They are. Um. Yeah, man. Whew. Uh. Yeah, shiny. So. Um. Yeah. So this is this is sort of the strategy of it, and so. I am thinking in terms of the way the production houses want to put these groups together Mm -hmm. is as a survival tactic. Like you want to put them together to take advantage of both the scope of talent that is required by these songs. And again, if you listen to Monster, you'll understand what I'm talking about. These songs, the way they are structured requires performance, requires rapping and requires singing. And you almost have to watch in, the videos to really, uh, in fact, you do. To yeah, appreciate to really it. understand yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and so when you're putting these together, you want to have as good a foundation as possible in order to survive the inevitable attrition that's going to occur. Um, and this is where we come to survival shows because fans and people voting on this do not care one bean for the correct spread of talent (laughs) and uh it drives me bonkers (laughs) well it drives me nuts i literally i i could not i could not finish boys planet i was like i can't oh yeah i cannot watch this it's so upsetting to me that they're not thinking about the correct (laughs) statistical proportion Mm -hmm. like why can they not like vote in a main singer? I was like, you guys are like, you understand that this is a boy group and technically they have to actually sing. Mm-hmm. That That's what <laughs> I, I have only watched a little bit of produce 48 or, uh, you, you know, boys planet or any of those, because, uh, to me, I'm like, well, either it's not going to be a very good group or they're putting their thumbs on the scale. One or the other. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, and it turns out all of the above. Yeah. And pretty much all of the above. Two, two various levels of scandal or not, depending on, on, exactly. on how, it, how it goes. I don't know if you watched A2K. It was no. only on oh, YouTube. Is, JYP. Is that, is that, you told me to watch this. This is the American group they're putting it's, together? Yeah. Or it's, English language? It's, it's, it's Park J. Young. It's, it's J, 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 J.Y. Park, uh, the, the leader of JYP, the founder of JYP. Uh, as me out. <laughs> he he is a, an interesting guy. I'm not gonna. He, he is, let's put it this way, ladies and gentlemen. Do not get in an elevator with this man <laughs> under any circumstances. He is. Uh, it's not a vote. It's an audition show. So yeah, exactly. it's basically saying, look, can you can you convince JYP to be on this? And he has performance instructors, vocal coaches, yeah. uh, voting with him you know, yes. making, making the decision and there's, and he talks about his decision process yeah, too. And there's like scores and things so you can yeah. follow. Um, but I, I think, you know, what made it work for me is like, well, I know he's trying to put together a good group. And so there's not going to be this thing where they pretend like somebody's going to get voted in or like with twice, they had to bring back Momo uh, and, and just kind of stick them in at the end because it's like, well, she's really good and we can't lose her. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so, so I liked that. Uh, and, and I think it'll be interesting to see the, the group that came out of it is called Vicha. Uh, they're all American, but they're training in Korea 
And uh, they've had the one song that came out of the competition, which, as you know, songs that come out of a competition are never that great. So it's like, yeah. okay, they did that and they got to go on Music Bank with it and everything good for them. Uh, I'm very interested to see how they do once they get an actual, you know, album that has gone through the traditional production process uh, and how that works out. Because again, all American, uh, chosen in a reality program, but chosen by the founder of, of by the a producer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I would lay odds, strong odds against. I mean, time's going to tell, yeah, yeah. but I'll go on record saying I don't think it's going to be successful. I'll be interested um, to see what happens to it. Like, w- will it not be successful in the sense of they'll spin people out of it? Will they get some soloists out of it? I don't know. I'm, I, I, I just don't think it's going to be a cohesive group, and I don't think it's going to be popular globally. I, I, um, having watched it, could see it become a cohesive group. I could see that happen uh, because they considered that in the selection. Uh, popularity, that's going to be hard. Yeah. Yeah, I think singing in English. I think the Korean style is suitable to K-pop. I think the moment you're in a Spice Coast territory, globally, at least the American audience is going to be like, yeah, we went through this in the 80s. We don't don't want to do this again. What's special about this? But but everybody's trying to do it. HYBE also has their their Dream Academy program that's underway Mm. right now, which is fan vote combined with jury selection uh, that's trying to do the same thing. People from all over the world, in this case, not just America. So it's got... Are they going to pull them into a k-pop group yes. or a global group? The, well yeah. a k-pop global group is how they describe this, it so this is something worth talking that's a good about question. Yeah, which yeah. is another strategy to putting together your team is to have global members to to specifically have people from japan mm-hmm. china uh, thailand and a couple of other places where k-pop is very popular in order to then appeal to those yeah. fan bases in other words to give the fans in those countries somebody to attach to and also to have members of the group who speak these other yeah. languages for promotional purposes when you're going japan is particularly exciting it's the second largest musical consumption by money um in the world outside of the united states so and it's right there so korea always had its eyes like targeting well, japan that- and has tried for years to conquer the Japanese. That, that's one of the interesting things is that the Japanese, if you're like, well, wait, why isn't J-pop going as, as far? And the theory I've heard, I'm curious if you've, you've heard this and what you think of it. The theory I've heard is that Japan's market is big enough that you can sustain your career just staying in Japan. And yeah, it's nice if you yeah. break out, but you don't have to, whereas Korea's is not. Yeah. And, and uh, Japan also doesn't care. This is really interesting because I'm a huge fan of Japanese cinema as well. And um, the cinema, cinema, like film yeah, yeah. cinema, and the sort like of the they have like yeah. sort of two very clear styles of cinema. They have the sort of at the feet of Kurosawa, like super atmospheric, kind of slow moving, cerebral style, and then they have this sort of very campy, kind of panto mm-hmm. comedic style. And they produce almost all of their work, whether movie or series, in one of these two styles. And um, and they don't care about the global market yeah. their ip are really strict i mean they code in a different language they computer code in a different language from the rest of the world like they do not care about global export they never really have it with their pop culture they're like we produce it for the japanese market the japanese market consumes it if somebody else finds it interesting their attitude is literally like oh do you like that? that's interesting maybe we'll, yeah yeah maybe we'll think about distribution yeah. like but like i mean Still to this day, I'm not admitting to anything, but like getting content out of Japan, you have to go 
not to Japan. <laughs> like you have to go. Like I was like, I will pay you anything you want for me to get access to this. And they're just like, yeah, we don't, yeah. we don't care. We're not going to sub it. We're not, you know, like we don't, we don't want to export it. What, why would we do yeah. that? And you're just like, ah, um, but yeah, they, they were like that. They're like that with their music. And that's one of the reasons Korea was like, Oh no, we have an agenda to export. Yeah, Because we can't make enough money in the half of a country that, that we are able to develop yeah, right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so we yeah. have to look outside our borders and Japan was, a, was the obvious first place to look and they've done very well. Korean, groups are very popular in japan uh but even then it was like well but japan has its own so we can only get so much of that market let's get thai let's get philippines let's get australia let's get america why not let's show up on billboard japanese talent which which was very smart yeah yeah. (laughs) we're like what we will do is get your people Uh over here well that's uh, why sakura coming to la seraphim is so smart and such a big deal because she was huge as a member of that big group in Japan and left to go to Korea because she wanted the freedom to explore beyond those big, huge idol groups that they have in Japan. Yes. Yeah. She was a cog in the machine and she was like, I can be yeah. like one of seven instead yeah. of one of 27. And she's the and- oldest and in the documentary anyway. And you know, these documentaries, they don't always show every single conversation, of course, but in the documentary, they, they talk about who should be the leader and Shaywan, who's the second oldest is like, I'd like to. And Sakura is like, great. All yours. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's funny. That's actually off also often the case with foreign idols. So got seven. Similarly, um, the oldest idol is the, he acts like a machina half the time is Mark and he's American. Uh-huh. And he was like, there's no way he was going to be a leader. Yeah. Like under no, he's like, no. And you know it from his, if you know anything about his personality, you're like, absolutely not. <laughs> Which is unusual with, a, you know, someone like Bang Chan, who's the leader of stray kids, who's Australian. Mm-hmm. Um, and still managing to do it. There's something about his personality yeah. that makes him a good leader because it's pretty rare for the leader to not be Korean. Yeah, yeah. No, New Jean's leader is uh, Minji, and she's Korean and the oldest uh, in that case. Um, yeah. Although that group, yeah. the oldest, you know, means you're just out of yeah, high school. The oldest is a baby. Yeah. But still, like, it's still like the hu- a huge responsibility yeah, yeah. In, a, in a collectivist society and the social structure in particular. Like, the oldest is is a lot of. Care. Oh man, you're, 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 <laughs> this is a bit of a side jag, but uh, I was just, I'm studying Korean and I was just learning uh, the rules for different verb conjugations when talking, po- po- you have to talk polite to your grandmother, but there's a different conjugation from when you're talking about your grandmother than when you're talking to your grandmother. And there are different words for house when you're talking about your grandmother's house because it's a polite term for house, even though it's exactly the same term as the, yeah, it's, it's, it's got a lot of that Confucian heritage. uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Linguistic registers. You can look at studying a language when you're interested in its pop culture tells you a lot about the way that that pop culture is structured. Cause obviously the linguistics plays such a, key role in human behaviors and vice versa. And the the other thing I wanted to talk about is, is the personality aspect of this uh, and and the the shows that, you know, some, some of it is appearing on variety shows in Korea and Japan. Uh, Some of it is creating their own shows now on YouTube. BTS is often credited and 
I this may be miscrediting. They, there may have been plenty of people doing this before, but they're often credited with going direct to the fans on YouTube in a way mm. that other groups had not. Uh, and certainly they set the template where everybody saw when their success started to happen. Well, we we should do that, too. We should do live chats. Uh, we should do more of these these kind of, you know, uh, fun, fun shows like Run BTS. Uh, and it mm-hmm. has now become the template. And when we're talking about the math for the performance, right, and the vocals and the performance, there's also a math for the personalities, too, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. And the personalities getting along with each other, but also which personalities can step forward and are what, like extrovert, introvert, mm-hmm. like who can who can take the burden of fan service and who's willing to and is excited about it and who's just like, yeah, we're and this is particularly recognizable i think in some of the older groups like early like second gen of course but like early third gen um watching like pre-bts or concurrent Mm -hmm. with and then just after and like some of those groups are just like i don't want to do that (laughs) like they're just like i don't like no one in the group really wants to do that even though it's because it's new yeah yeah but also, like, they must just maybe didn't build in with those personalities. Well, you know? well like, yeah, because they were built before that. That was a, as much of a consideration. That makes thing. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I... I so so one one of the other things that fascinated me with this whole industry was uh, when big hit music, which is BTS's label, changed their name to Hybe uh, because they were acquiring other labels. They did uh, an investor presentation that was also a fan presentation, uh, which is kind of smart, uh, and they laid out their their business plan, which was it's content first. So with them, they were saying art, artistry, music, but, but, but basically their content, uh, then it's audience. So then you, you, you make the good stuff and then you pay attention to your audience and you talk to your audience and you engage your audience. Then it's monetization, which is once, once we figured out all the other stuff, you know, what are the best ways to make money? It's concert tickets, it's CD sales, it's merchandise sales, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I recognize that because it's exactly what I learned at Tech TV in 1999 that we were doing that other television networks weren't because we were being tech forward and doing chat rooms while we were doing live broadcasts and and engaging with the audience and it was yeah we have to care about the content we're making or else it'll they'll people will see through it then you engage the audience and say okay you know you're part of this content with us we're going to put you on the show we're going to show chat on screen we're going to we're going to have net cams uh and then you figure out the monetization aspect of it and i, I realized oh they they learned the same lesson that we learned uh which was as this technology was developed let's make use of it in in a way that that amplifies the business hmm it's interesting. I don't know how much I trust it, but you know, I'm very suspicious what, of trust that trust that they that they. What don't you trust? I guess I should. I think that I think like most corporations, the money is their bottom line, and that's what they're interested oh, in yeah. getting the most of. I'm not. Uh, I don't think they care about the the creative. Don't get me wrong. This they, is not this <laughs> is not them saying we will sacrifice monetization for content. This is them saying You're the right. first prioritization is that we have to care about what we're doing. If you have yeah. employees that don't care about what they're doing, that aren't passionate about music, that aren't into this, it's going to fail. 
That's true. And I, so, that so, true. so it's not content first. And if we don't make money, that's fine. No, I, it's not that. <laughs> it's you have to have passionate people working on this, and then you have to have them care about the audience, and the audience care about them, and then we can make all the money in the world. So it is all about money. Yeah. It's just it. It's it's the idea of. Some places I've worked at said, uh, "Hey, we can we can sell this content. Let's make it." And and mm. that's that's a that's a mess. You're no you're not you're not going to last very long if you keep doing that. Well, this is an interesting thing, and we sort of touched on it. I mean, we're going very long. I but, know uh, this is too much fun. I have nothing else to do with my life but talk about K-pop. So um, <laughs> I hope that's okay with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean- um, but um, we kind of touched on this or you kind of touched on this when we were talking about BTS is that they were initially sort of stylized to be what they call a specific color of yeah, K-pop. Right. So a specific style. They were supposed to be kind of like heavier hitting. Bulletproof like Boy Scouts, hard, hardcore. Yeah. 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 yeah um, initially and, and through the course of their skill set and development and also the activation of the fact that they're all pretty multi-talented, they did and picked up and continue to explore many different kinds of music yeah. as we, I mean, it's all K-pop, but like you can watch them come out with dynamite and you're like, Oh, that's the 1970s. Yep. Like I wouldn't, I could have heard that in the seventies and been like that it belongs in this era, you know? Um, and they've done that. And this like, to a certain extent, their oeuvre is also kind of all rounder ish. Mm-hmm. Like they're very much like, and um, there are other groups that do that and have done that, like GOT7, mm-hmm. for example. Um, but then there are groups that really do end up kind of specializing. And that is that seems to me sort of slightly more common. It's really hard to make it. In other words, like they have a genre that they're writing in, shall we say, right? It's really hard to make yeah. it as a multi-genre cross-genre author. Like most of the, you know, you're popular as an author because you're writing in one genre. And it feels like a lot of the K-pop is also sort of doing And I'm thinking about sort of second tier, super popular groups like Stray Kids, mm-hmm. like Monster X, you know, and they like Monster X is hard. Like their brand is goes with their name, yeah. right? Like they are power players. They do power music. When they do ballads, they do power ballads. Like they're like in the rock rap arena. And that's partly because their rap line is incredibly strong and their vocal line is relatively weak. <laughs> so they only really have one power vocal. And Blackpink is, um, is, is another example of that where it's like, we go hard at you. We have power vocals yes. from Jisoo. Rose is not yes. bad, uh, but Jenny and Lee are here to rap and and it's all about yeah, attitude exactly. it's attitude yeah um straight kids again now straight kids is fourth gen is going heavy performance they lean into the performance and i mean performance not just dance yeah dance is a big deal but these guys are putting on performance that we got performance groups late second early third like speed but Man, they were rare and they were trick performers. Like they did acrobatics yeah, yeah. and like like look up speed sometimes. I will. They That's have a good some one. of the Oh my god, they're old guard. There's only like two or three, but they did some like they did a wheelie K pop. <laughs> like it's bonkers. They're crazy performance. But um so we're getting a lot of fourth gens that are real performance heavy, which I don't know how I feel, but I think the young people like it. Um 
but uh, but they also but Stray Kids like clearly hard like right they are rapid like Three Racha has an iron fisted control which I admire like they are their most recent comeback they tried to be rock and I was like no lean into rap like you guys just do it better. I um, went to a Stray Kids concert because Eileen bought tickets and I didn't know that much about them and they had a giant inflatable spider coming out and like reaching into the audience <laughs> oh, and Venom? I was like oh yeah yeah for Venom exactly and I was like uh, okay this is pretty amazing. I, yeah. I, I really love a lot of their comebacks. I like, I really like quite a bit of Stray Kids stuff, but I like harder stuff. Like I had, I have, I've had my punk phase, you know, like I love it when K-pop gets a little edgy. Yeah, um, me too. Rare and I like it. Um, it's one of the things that, a, a, that when I started exploring BTS's music, I found Ugg and, and all of these harder yes. core raps. I'm like, oh, okay. So it's not all, earlier. you know, you know, Tashi run, run, run. It's, you know, th- yeah. there's a mix of stuff. And don't tell the, don't tell the vocal appreciators, but the only, the only solos I've liked have been the rappers solo work, <laughs> like Augustine and RM. Um, RM is my bias, everybody. Sorry. Oh, not do you have a wrecker for that? Ooh, wrecker. Probably. Ooh. You know, these days I'm tempted to say sugar because I don't know. There's something, again, it's attitude. I just really like his kind yeah. of personality. But I'm the, like I'm the reverse. Uh, I immediately pick Yungi out of Run BTS because I just liked his attitude. He was always a little grumpy and like, you know, said yes! funny stuff. And then I picked RM yes. as my wrecker because I was like, oh, that guy's smart. <laughs> like he's a thinker. So yeah, I love his brain. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just freaking learned English. Yeah. He's like, I guess by I watching friends. Yeah. And he has a perfect <laughs> accent. Uh, I'm so jealous. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thanks, Ed. Yeah. You make us all look bad. But but um, I think I, yeah. I think that that appeal of like, hey, I'm I'm the smart one, you know, I'm the funny one, I'm the visual, you know, worldwide handsome, all of that. Yeah. Like that is part of K pop too, that you see in like Taylor Swift. You know, yes. but, you know, you see it a little with Beyonce, maybe, but it, that is something unique to K-pop groups because they all do it and they they all. Yeah, it's like an it. archetype. It's like you have to pick your archetype yeah. for the group that, and like, who's the cute mm-hmm. one? Who's the funny one? Yeah, and it's it's so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I personally clearly have a bias in the original sense of the word towards leaders in general, mm-hmm. because I like a sort of bossy, caring personality. <laughs> like I just like <laughs> identify very strongly with that. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah Eileen so accuses I, me of always picking biases that are leaders. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, I can identify. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. But I also love an all rounder, like without without question, like I really respect um serious talent when it's when it's up on that stage um which is which is why i finally settled pretty firmly on hand for stray kids because i was like man he really can sing and rap and dance like okay uh you win uh but yeah it's it's that is true too there is this personality thing which definitely has correlates to the variety tv shows but also to genuinely their personalities like you know um again my my core group is B2B and I'm thinking about Minyak, who is my bias, who is without question. Um, and that is because he is like excellent at fan service and he's the only one in that group who ever really cares about it. Um, and he serves it and you're just like, thank you. May I have another? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, um, so yeah, there's definitely that aspect to, to these groups as well. Yeah. Um, but that backfires, right? Like that, that, you know, you have too much parasocial relationships and those are the ones that can backfire and turn into trolls or turn into sassing yeah, in a yeah. red hot minute. Um, if you do anything that violates their imposed code of behavior and what they expect from you. And that does seem to generally be acknowledged to be worse in Korea 
than it is mm-hmm. internationally. And I think that's not mm-hmm. because of so much of anything to do with Koreans as it is the fact that they're there, right? You yes, know, like you, you could it. technically find them and go to their house, which it has happened in yeah. some cases. You can run across idols if you yeah. walk around certain blocks, yeah. uh, you know, in, in the city, right? Um, that's one of the yeah. uh, that's one of the, the the best things about living in L.A. is when a Korean group comes finding the stories of the people who ran into them because they're not worried about, you know, being stalked or anything. And then it's yeah. a, usually I, I think 99 percent of the time a positive story of like, oh, you actually know who we are. That's cool. Kind of. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's from America. It's like, hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love your stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you know what? Uh, we should probably stop at some point. So yeah, uh, I think we could keep going on for hours, but, uh, I do have a little word game called this or that, uh, that I play with people. It's, it's very simple. I give you two options. You tell me which one you would pick and why. Okay. I'm ready. All right. Uh, I'm going to start very stereotypically for Gail Carriger, Earl Grey or Darjeeling? Darjeeling. Darjeeling and why? Uh, I like a single leaf. I don't like my tea profaned, mm. and I consider. Whoop! See, this is very appropriate. It's the Earl Grey police. <laughs> They're coming to get you. <laughs> uh, I don't like bergamot. I think it's furniture polish. Mm. Uh, that's what it was originally meant to do, and it should stay and, there. Yeah. Um, right. no, I don't. I don't really. I'm coming around to sort of fruit elements and other things in my tea as I drink more and more black tea. Mm-hmm. But as a, originally a sort of purist in terms of um, British milk tea, uh, I tend to prefer Assams and Darjeeling's and singles. Excellent. Arms or tentacles? For me or somebody else? However you wish to answer. Oh, I'm going to go with arms. That's, that's technically what octopuses have. Mm-hmm. They don't actually have tentacles. Um, and they're more um, versatile. Very good. So arms. Yeah. And and I chose that knowing that arms and tentacles can be interchangeable. And I was curious how you, uh, that, that was good. <laughs> I like that. Uh, good answer. Uh, this is when I ask everyone, fast or slow zombies? Ooh, well, for me personally, slow zombies. I don't like horror and I'm scared of- So you want to be able to get away. Easily. Yeah. I'd like something I could get away from. Yeah. I think if you're trying to scare an audience, you probably should go with fast zombies. But mine are, in my case, they're porcupines. But <laughs> that's a whole other, porcupine zombies are the only zombies I've ever dealt with. This is a this has become a litmus test uh, because I was shocked how many people picked fast zombies for oh. the entertainment aspect of it. Like like yes, you said, for the value, yeah. entertainment yeah. value. No, uh, Ooh, no here's another one I thought would go differently, uh, and I ask uh, most people: savory or dessert crepes. Oh, dessert crepes. See, this is what I thought everybody would answer, but most people yeah. answer savory. I don't savory. know why. Uh, I do love savory crepes, and I probably should eat savory, but I have the worst sweet tooth on the planet. I love sugar is my drug of choice No, over tea, man. Like, I love sweet food. Yeah. So, yes. And I have a specific crepe, which is the, I guess, is what is often called the Swedish crepe here. But it is a, a sweet crepe with a little bit of salted butter, a little bit of sugar, and a squeeze of lemon. Mm. Um, although my favorite crepe in existence is something called a pancake, which is a Peruvian crepe that's made in the highlands. Oh, wow. That's very spongy, and it's folded. It's square, and it's folded up. It's a griddle cake, and it's square folded up, and then it has condensed milk on it, and it is delightful. These all sound delicious. So, so you're also a sweet crepe. I am person. a yeah. I'm a fruit crepe. Like you know, put, oh, put fruit in my banana yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. 
strawberries, anything. Mm, yeah. Yes. Wusong or Taman? Taman. That was that is not easy. Yeah, you made it um, sound easy. You, you obviously have thought about it before. I have thought about it. It's really hard because you're asking me to yeah, yeah. pick between a vocalist and a dancer. Like they're not even comparable. Yeah, they're here. not even the same type of group. Um, yeah, uh, they're not in the same. They're, one of them is way newer to the industry than the mm-hmm. other one. Um, but yeah, I mean, Taman is one of those that you watch him grow up in K-pop and you watch him on variety shows and you're like, oh, kid, like. I'm sorry you're like a child celebrity, but also like, what else could you do on this planet? <laughs> like, you are so sparkly yeah, yeah. that you have to be. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, dogs or cats? Cats. I love dogs. I actually really like most animals in general. Yeah. I'm not wild about, you know, the reptiles, but you know, whatever. I like cuddly animals. We'll put it that way. Um, but I, I am uh, the daughter of a gardener, mm. which means no dog. Ah. Never trust a gardener with a dog. And, um, and uh, yeah, so I always grow up with cats. Cats are working animals. They hunt the gophers and rats and things. We have a uh, cat that we call black pink because it's black with a big pink tongue. Uh, that just lives in our neighborhood. Uh, it's a feral cat, but hangs out in our yard. And we're like, yes, please do, you know, do us the service. We appreciate it. Mine is behaving herself immensely considering it's tea time. Um, <laughs> and it's fast asleep uh, right over there. Uh, two more. Tom Yum pork or Palo duck. These are two flavors of the noodles that you introduced oh, me I in know. before the oh, show. You, you asked me a really hard mm question um so for those who don't know those are two mama which is thailand's noodle ramen noodle i'm a big ramen noodle aficionado i love me a ramen noodle i love the ramen noodle that has gone outside of japan and become many other things and i love them all um but mama which is the thai version are my favorite because they are actually spicy and tom yum probably i'm not wild about pork if i'm going to do a tom yum i prefer the shrimp mm-hmm. uh and i prefer uh, mm-hmm. fr- uh fishy end of the spectrum um but kaplau is for those who don't know is very influenced which is not uncommon in thai cuisine by the yunnan chinese immigrant community in the area um and so it has like chinese five spice it's very earthy mm. and it's not spicy at all oh, okay um so yeah it's a little bit kind of on the peking duck end of the spectrum gotcha okay yeah it's good, sense, but, but, but yeah not the same thing uh and the last one the classic one hot or cold in general, yeah. hot do you or cold prefer hot or cold? Oh God, um, I think okay. I am always cold, mm-hmm. but I think I prefer cold because the thing about hot is there's only so much clothing you can take off. Uh, whereas the thing about cold is you can just keep piling things on yes. you until you. Warm this up is again. the person who um, likes cold's defense. Uh, that 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 is the that is a classic uh, classic defense because I I am a hot person and my thing is like yeah but you can never put on enough like you're still cold even you know? so yeah <laughs> then you just if you're me you just walk up to somebody like I have a rule. <laughs> Uh, everyone should know this about me, but if we're in a shoes off, uh, home like mine and as everyone's should be, uh, no one should wear shoes indoors. Yeah, I think agreed. this is the worst idea. Of it. Um, but, and, and I am sitting on a couch next to you. Your butt is fair game for my toes and otherwise you should move yeah. <laughs> because my toes are always cold and I will just worm them underneath somebody's leg. <laughs> <laughs> you have the right to that warmth is what you're saying. 
we just met, but uh, <laughs> your leg is now my foot warmer. Um, I very clean, very nice, very unsmelly feet, everybody. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah. I love that. Uh, well, Gail, <laughs> this has been so much fun. Uh, my, I'm That's sure my editor is going to think differently than me, but I, <laughs> I thought it was a blast. Uh, so thank you so much for uh, hanging out and, and talking K-pop and, and, and oh, all of this. It was pleasure. so much fun. Uh, it's been so great. And everybody should check out, uh, I have two blog posts on K-pop. Well, I have three, technically. You can Google Gail Carragher and then K-pop and they will pop up. Um, they're all tied to this sci-fi book series that I've written, but it does, one of them, the one about singers, really does talk about like the different kinds of vocal and like it'll give you a real insight into some of the true talent that's in the K-pop industry, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, and go watch Monster by Big Bang. <laughs> also, read read the post about yeah. your it was your father, right? My dad, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so funny. I just woke up in the middle of the night and he's watching K-pop, and I was like, "All right, Dad, let's do this." Thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's ninety, everybody. <laughs> if people want to find more of what you do, where should they go? Just gailgarriger.com. The blog posts are there. You can get in touch with me there. You can drop me a calling card if you want to talk about K-pop. It's like always. Love it. Happy to talk about it. It's my geekdom right now. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. That's the best way to get a hold of me. My Just my website. Thank you so much, Gail. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad we could do this. It's been great. Thanks to our producer, Anthony Lamos. Thank you for listening to this show and telling your friends about it. You can get an ad-free version of this show with Acast Plus. Click on access exclusive content at awordpodcast.com and we'll have a word with you next time. 